And Moses says, I won't go unless your presence goes with me. Exodus 33, 15. Could you imagine if as sons and daughters of God today, we began to refuse taking a single step forward without the God of this universe and his presence going with us. I won't go to my workplace if you don't go. I won't go to my school unless you go with me. And believe me, young people in this room, you don't want to go to your school without him. I won't go to the university unless you go with me. I won't go to my job. I won't go to my family reunion or my high school reunion unless you go with me. What are you looking at? Look at Acts chapter 3. Why don't you look at that? Acts chapter 3. The title is, what are you looking at? Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. And at the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. Now lame, back in, back in the Bible days, lame, he wasn't just like not cool. He couldn't walk. Just define that for you. New King James, <laughs> a man who couldn't walk from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which was called beautiful, to ask for alms or money from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms, he asked for money, he was begging, and fixing his eyes on him, Peter said, look at us. Everyone say, look at us. He looked at this man begging, and he said, look at me. So he gave them his, his attention. He gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, like, sweet, I'm going to get some dollars. I got this guy's attention. Everyone else is ignoring me. Everyone else is walking past me. Everyone else is, uh, has seen me here daily my whole life begging for money, and they're used to me. But Peter and James and John, they say, look at me. He gets their attention, expecting money. Then Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So he took up his right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankles received strength. So leaping, he stood and he walked and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was the man who sat begging at the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Lord, I just pray that no one would hear my words tonight. I pray that they would hear your words, Jesus, that we would fix our eyes on you, the author, the finisher of our faith, that we would no longer look to others for what we need, that we would no longer look to others for our success, that we would no longer, come on, just enter in and pray for your family, pray for your loved ones. I pray that we would no longer look to others in our lack, that we would look to others in our confusion, but that we would look to you, Jesus, 
that you would be the author, the finisher, the writer of our story. In Jesus' name. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I heard a story the other day on, on Instagram, I believe. I don't know. I, I came across this story. And the story goes, um, there was a case study that a university did on some women, and they wanted to see the effects of perception. And so what they did was they, they got some of the best Hollywood makeup artists, and they put, um, you know, the, the Hollywood movie makeup scars all over their face and gave them facial disfiguration as if they had scars. And what they did was they showed the women a, a mirror and they said, so this is how you're going to go into the job interview looking like this. And, and what we want you to do is, is determine, you know, do you feel like uh, in the job interview, if you were treated any different because you have scars than if you wouldn't have. So they showed the women the, the mirror, and then they said, okay, now we just got to touch these scars up real quick and make sure it looks right. And what they had actually done was they removed the scars. And then they sent the women into the job interview, and every single one of them out of 100 came back saying that they were treated wrongfully during their job interview because of the scars on their face. The power of perception, the power of sight, the power of vision, the power of what you're looking at, the power of what you're focused on. Did you know that what you look at determines your destiny? What you're focused on determines your future. You don't believe me? Then leave this room tonight, drive home, get in your car, and stare in the rearview mirror while you're driving home. You're not going to make it too far. You know, when, when they're teaching you at motorcycle classes how to ride a motorcycle, one of the things they're teaching you when you're turning in your curves, or like how do you turn a motorcycle and get it back up, one of the things they teach you is where you're looking is where you will end up. If you're going up the mountain here, Mount Lemon, and you're going on the curves, and you're riding, and I can speak to this, because I used to have a bike that got me seven fat tickets and nearly an impounded bike, so I, I can speak to these curves and how to do it. If you're looking at the side of the road, that's where you'll end up. That's what they teach you. So if you don't believe me, just try that. See what happens. People are crashing their lives, though, because of where their eyes are at. We're crashing our lives. We're not where we want to be. We're, we're either confused or we're distraught or we're upset or we're complaining or we're critical because of what we're looking at. Not because of what's actually happening, but because of what we're looking at. We're living our lives blindfolded to what God has for us or blindfolded to following after him in his direction only. Oswald Chambers writes, the wind really was boisterous and the waves really were high, but Peter didn't see them at first. He didn't consider them at all. He simply recognized his Lord. He stepped out into the recognition of his Lord and he walked on the water. Then he began to take those things around him into account and instantly down he went. Why couldn't our Lord have enabled him to walk at the bottom of the waves as well as on the top of the waves? He could have, yet neither could be done without Peter's continuing recognition 
of the Lord Jesus. When his eyes and his focus were on Jesus, Peter could walk on water. When his eyes were off of Jesus, the miracle of walking on water stopped. And this is the picture of our focus in this life. And now more than ever, we need to be focused on Jesus the things going on in this world and the chaos and and the confusion. It can't be the waves and the wind that we're looking at, church. We've got to be focused on Jesus. Lord, if it is you, he replied, Matthew 14, verse 29, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Some of us encounter God at church, yet get our, you know, we get our Holy Ghost goosebumps during worship. You get your sidewalk prophecy on the way out the door. You feel like Superman because you get encouraged by the word and reminded of the blood and the power of God. You get your free coffee and you're feeling highly blessed and favored. You get your favorite parking spot and your favorite seat. But when you walk back to the car, you get a text message that reminds you of the struggle. You get, uh, you, you get back home and even though you felt so fired up 30 minutes ago, you see the bill on the counter and you're reminded of the chaos that you're behind and the lack that you're facing. And then you're reminded of the issues that you left at home. And our eyes get off of Jesus. This is why the power of a daily encounter is so important because it's not enough. If you are just showing up to church on Sunday mornings or once a month on Wednesday night and expecting that your life is gonna be on track and that your eyes are gonna be focused on Jesus, but you're not waking up and encountering the Lord and you're not gathering your family around the fireplace or around the living room table or around breaking bread at the dinner table and talking about the things of God and encountering the Lord together as a family, it's not enough enough unless you're focusing on Jesus. It's not enough. You've got to be focused in this life that is putting everything out there at you in so many algorithms to get your eyes off of him. What are you doing to keep your eyes on him, church? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Because you, you, you take your eyes off of Jesus and you started looking at the waves again. And that's why life is where it's at. What are you looking at? What are you focused on? What is troubling you? What are you distracted by? I think of Mary and Martha, two sisters that are disciples who are sisters of Lazarus, the one that Jesus loves and they serve Jesus and they love Jesus and they're a part of so many miracles and stories in the word and, and by all accounts, we can tell how close they are to Jesus and, and to paraphrase the story, Martha was working and working and working so hard and Jesus says to her in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, he says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted. He says, your, your sister's doing the right thing. What was her sister doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's focused on her Savior. What are you looking at? I think of Jacob wrestling with God. He would not let go. He would not let the angel of the Lord leave him. 
he would not take his focus off of the Lord. And he was marked for it. He was changed for it. His decision to stay focused and not let go of God changed his very name. It changed the direction and the course of his life. He was marked for it. He walked with a limp for it. Why? Because in Genesis 32, he says, I will not let go. We let go. We come and we, we, we worship and we listen and we hear the word, but we let go of it. We let go of it. We let go of the truth that fired us up. We let go of the truth that set us on fire. We let go of that song, Hail, Hail, Lion of Judah. It's a great song and it's a great anthem. But if you let go of it when you walk out these doors, you're going to sink in the waves. I think of Moses who argues with the Lord in Exodus 33. And God is so fed up with the stiff-necked people, nation of Israel, whom he had just shown the greatest manifestation of power that will ever be shown or ever be recorded in human history. And yet they still disobeyed their God and took their eyes off of their God that just split the sea. And Moses says, I won't go unless your presence goes with me. Exodus 33, 15. Could you imagine if as sons and daughters of God today, we began to refuse taking a single step forward without the God of this universe and his presence going with us? I won't go to my workplace if you don't go. I won't go to my school unless you go with me. And believe me, young people in this room, you don't want to go to your school without him. I won't go to the university unless you go with me. I won't go to my job. I won't go to my family reunion or my high school reunion unless you go with me. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we walked like Mary, if we walked like Jacob, if we walked like Moses? I think of Job who lost everything, everything taken from him. His family, his friendships, his wealth, his money, his homes, his stuff, his children, his reputation, his friendships were all lost. And nothing he could do could help the situation. For 42 chapters, we hear the worst story recorded. Not just in the Bible, but in history. <laughs> the most depressing story. You want freedom from depression? Read the book of Job. Because <laughs> you will get depressed. Nothing worked. As long as his eyes were on the things he was missing, 42 chapters and years and years of his life wasted nothing would work. Ashes and sawcloth and, and depression and crying out to God. Nothing would change his situation until in chapter 42, verse 10, it says, after Job prayed for his friends. After, did you see this? After Job prayed for his friends, 
His fortunes were restored. He got his eyes off of himself. He got his eyes to stop looking at the wind and the waves. He got his focus off of the circumstance. He got his focus off of the trauma. He got his focus off of the political environment around him. He got his focus off of the world around him. He got his focus off of what he lost. And he started praying for someone else. (sighs) What are you looking at? Could you imagine if we begin to think of others and pray for others and stop thinking of our problems and stop thinking of ourselves and, hey, stop praying about your problems. Just get your eyes off of them. Start thanking the Lord for what you do have. Stop complaining to God about what you don't have. Someone writes that down and walks out of here and does it, your life will change forever. I'll say it again in case you didn't write it down. Stop praying about your problems and start thanking God for the breath in your lungs and your life will be forever changed. Oh, that's too simple, Brandon. Yeah, it is simple. That's how God works. It's simple. We complicate it. What are you looking at? I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow to the world's nonsense. They refused beyond the government's demands to bow or even look at the idol that was made of man's image. And it cost them everything. But they kept their eyes focused on the fourth man in the fire. (laughs) Their eyes weren't even on the fire. Their eyes weren't on the idol. Their eyes weren't on the fire that they were facing. Literally the fire that was heated seven times hotter. They weren't focused on the fire. Their eyes were on the fourth man that the Bible says appeared to look as the son of God. Their eyes were on Jesus in the fire. Like Peter's eyes were on Jesus in the storm. Their eyes were on Jesus in the fire. What are you looking at? I think of the book of Revelation and the prophecy of the end time days. And by all accounts, we're walking through many of those days. And we could have our eyes on the fear and the things going on around us and the many prophecies that seem to be unfolding before our eyes. And I think about Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. This is coming. This is going to happen. This hasn't happened yet. But this is going to happen. This is a fun story to read to your little kids. Read it to them. Awesome dreams. So the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He, cast to, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren whom accused them before God day and night. That's what he does before God about us. He accuses us. He has been cast down. One day he will be cast down. This is a prophecy of what will forthcome. And they overcame him. They overcame him. We're going to win. Spoiler alert. It's right there. And they overcame him. You know this by the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimonies. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. 
I'm going to overcome because I took communion. I focused on the blood. I'm going to overcome because I got saved. I said the sinner's prayer. I came up here to the altar. I gave my life to the Lord. I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell my family. Dot, dot, dot. There's a big word there. And. It doesn't say or. It doesn't say, hey, we're going to overcome the devil. You know, you can choose. This is a la carte. Whatever you want. This is Chipotle Bible. You can get white rice or brown rice. Doesn't matter. You can choose the blood of the lamb, which is the highest authority. Or you could choose to, you know, tell your testimony and, you know, I, I don't know about that blood of the lamb communion stuff. I'm gonna, I'll tell my story. God's changed my life. What follows the end? They did not love their lives even unto death. They did not love their lives even unto death. Guys, this is an equation. One, two, three, baby. They overcame with all of it. They didn't overcome by the blood of the lamb. The devil is defeated in this prophecy of end times that we're close to walking out. I'm trying to prepare you. What's your eyes? What, what are your eyes going to be on as the world continues to get worse and worse? What are your eyes going to be on if there's more wars? What are your eyes going to be on if there's another pandemic? What are your eyes going to be on if there's more political disturbance? What are your eyes going to be on if the stock market crashes and you lose everything? What are your eyes going to be on if you lose your job? They overcame. This, this is the equation. Write this down. It's a cheat sheet, man. By the blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony. And they did not love their life until death. You know what I love about the word of God? God gives us the roadmap to success. Whether we choose to walk it out or not is a whole other story. But everything you need to do to succeed in life is right here in his word. They did not love their life until death. You can't pick and choose. You can't mix and match the word and implies inclusion in the original language. You must include the ability to no longer love your life. Or put it another way, what are you looking at? You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we're blindfolding our futures. When you don't consider him, you consider sin. When you don't consider him, you consider sin. You see, you consider sin when you love your life. But when you have the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, and I don't love my life until death, and I no longer choose to sin. You can get to the place where you no longer choose to do that very thing that's tearing your life apart. You can get to the place where you choose to no longer walk out the things that break the heart of God for you. I think of the book of Hebrews, the book of faith. 
defining the fathers of our faith in Hebrews 11, and the keys to their faith is seen here, and you walk through Hebrews 11, it's a beautiful uh, passage of scripture, and you see, by faith, Abraham, and by faith, Sarah, and by faith, Isaac, and by faith, Jacob, what's God doing? He's giving you the roadmap. He's giving you the keys. He's giving you the answers. By faith, Jacob, and by faith, Joseph, and by faith, Moses. I want to key in on this. By faith, Moses, in verse 23, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than, pre- than treasures in Egypt. He looked to the reward. He looked to the promise. Losing everything, losing his family, losing his reputation, losing his riches, losing his status as a general, as a son of the Pharaoh. He looked at the promise that he heard from the Lord when he heard that burning bush. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath, verse 27, of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Are you catching my drift here? What are you looking at? For he endured, how? By seeing. He endured by keeping his eyes on Jesus. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should be touched. For by faith, they passed through the Red Sea onto dry land, whereas Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. What are you looking at? Number one, write these six quick things down. Six things we learned from Moses. Six things that will help us look at the right things. What are you looking at? Number one, he was hidden. Be hidden. Moses was hidden by God. He was hidden. He was hidden in the basket and drifted upstream into Pharaoh's house, and he was hidden. Most of us want to be seen, but the Lord's saying, be hidden. Where we struggle in life is, is, is that we, we love our lives so much and we want to be seen. What, what do you think the devil's ploy is with social media? He wants you to be seen. You want the likes. You want the follows. It's, it's, part, of the, hey, it's part of the plan, man. Get your eyes off of the Lord and get your eyes on yourself. Be hidden. Number two, what did Moses do? He refused to be called anyone else's son. He got to the point where he refused to be a son of Pharaoh. What was he doing? He was wanting connection to his heavenly father. This is verse 24. He refused to be called a son of this world. Egypt in the Bible always represents the world's systems, the secular systems, the uh, secular ideologies. He refused any longer to be a part of that system. If you want to be a part of this world's system, you don't want to be a part of God's kingdom. For what place does light have with darkness? That's the word. Well, I don't know if I like that. I don't care. I don't know if I like it either, but it's the word. There's things in the word that rub our flesh wrong. 
That's part of the human problem from the fall and why we need our Savior. I don't know if I agree with that. Cool. You don't have to agree with me, but what are you going to answer to the Lord? You're going to tell him, I don't know if I agree with that. Number three, choose suffering with God and his people over pleasures and sin. Referencing verse 25, he chose rather to suffer. Choose. Man, I'd rather be partying with my people. I'd rather be partying with the kingdom. I'd rather be having a Holy Ghost party with the Most High than any party, right? I'd rather be with the Lord, I'd rather be in his presence. I'd rather, I'm getting to the place in my life where I'd rather just spend time with God than watch movies. I'd rather be, and I'm not, I'm not talking about just being so, spirit. you know, people say don't be so spiritual that you're no good to anyone here on earth, but how good will you be to anyone here on earth if you're not spiritual? Because this is a spiritual battle. What are you looking at? Number four, reject the world and its ways. Referencing verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. Forsake the world and their ways. By faith he forsook Egypt. Number five, keep covenant with God alone. Keep God's ways. He kept the Passover. Keep covenant with God alone. Keep covenant with God alone. Keep covenant with God alone. Keep God's ways. Let the blood of Jesus be the highest authority in your life. Too many of us, hey, you wanted me to go back? I'll park there for a second. Too many of us allow other authorities to be the highest authority in our life. But you know what? When I take communion, I raise the cup above my head because there is no higher authority on this planet than the blood. Raise, raise the blood in your life as the highest authority. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's nothing but the blood. Keep his covenant. Number six, pass through anything. No matter what it looks like, pass through anything. Referencing verse 27, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt and they passed through. They passed through the waters. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. Rather, he looked to the reward of the freedom to worship. And then what happens? Chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. Verse two, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What a beautiful passage that is just the roadmap to refix our eyes on the right thing. Let's look at what Jesus says. If we're supposed to look unto Jesus, why don't we close here in a minute looking at what Jesus said. Looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, let's look at his words. Because I'm a big believer that the words in red are the most important words ever written. And you know what? I don't care what your arguments are to that. Jesus, the Son of God, spoke. And when God spoke in Genesis, he birthed the world and the universe. And he spoke us into existence. And when Jesus speaks in the red, he births things in our lives that we need to lean into and listen to at a deeper level. So Jesus says some crazy stuff. 
Again, I don't care if you agree with what Jesus says. Take that up with him. I'm just going to say what he said. Just the messenger, man. Luke 14, verse 23. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned to his disciples and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, whew, and hate his wife and his children, yikes, what? And hate his brothers and sisters, yeah. Yay. Even hate his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. Listen, this is not the point in the service where I say, hey, turn to your wife and say, (laughs) repeat after me. But think about that. Like Jesus tells us to hate our wife and to hate our husband and to hate our children. What is that? Is anyone else confused right now? There's two words for hate in the Greek. One word hate is raka, which means murder. That's where Jesus says it's that, it's that passion of hatred that you hate so much that you would do what Cain and Abel did, where you would pick up the stone and you would throw it at your brother. It's this deep-rooted offense that would cause you to take action to take that person off the planet because you're so angry and there's hatred inside of you. This is not the word Jesus is using here. This word hate translates this, to love less than. Jesus is saying here in the original language, Listen, you want to be my disciple, Aaron? You've got to love Becca less than you love me because no one gets my place in your life. You want to, you want to be my disciple, Corey? Your three kids have to come after me. Like, I'm first in your life. That's a, that's a little, everyone go, oh, man, that makes more sense, Jesus. But at the same time, it's still a tall order. Because I would say that most people in this room today, you might say, oh yeah, the Lord is first in my life. And you might have your spiritual answer. But you know what? I, I would guarantee you, he's probably not. Because when he's first, Matthew 6.33 says that all these things are added unto your life. So whatever lack you're facing, whatever problems you're facing, whatever waves are overtaking you, it's because your eyes are not on him as the author and finisher of your faith. It's because you've allowed for whatever reason, because of circumstance, because of trial, because of life, because of decisions, you've allowed for other idols to be put first. You were, you're not... You're not walking like the three Hebrew children who didn't bow to the idol and got thrown into the fire. You're walking in a manner of life in which you've allowed idols to come before you. And I'm here to tell you this hot summer night in a prophetic way that the Lord wants to tear down idols. 
He wants to tear down the idols of family in your life. He wants to tear down the idols of your pedigree in your life. He wants to tear down the idols of race. He wants to tear down the idols of politics. He wants to tear down the idols of your marriage. He wants to tear down the idols of your status as a father. He wants to tear down the idols of your status as a job employee person going after success and climbing your corporate ladder. He wants to tear down the idols of your bank account and your real estate and your portfolio. He wants to tear down the idols of your stuff, of your motorcycles or your cars or your shoes or your watches or your clothes. He wants to tear down the idols in your life. Everything that's coming before him. I'm saying before you walk out this door, you got to leave some stuff at the altar. You've got to tear down the idols. Maybe it's movies. Maybe it's entertainment. I don't know what it is, but I had a revelation in the last several years that entertainment could no longer be the idol it was. For me, it was fantasy football and watching movies and watching television shows, and I just loved to be entertained. It was fun. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm enjoying life. Until the Lord spoke to me in a daily encounter. He said, Brandon, what's the first word of entertainment? What's entering our eyes? What have we placed as an idol before the Lord by the things we allow to enter our eyes or enter our lives? What are the things that you place before God? Wow. No one who wants to be my disciple, can love anything more than me, can place anything ahead of me. What are you looking at? What you see is a very powerful thing. What you focus on determines your future. What are you looking at? I'll ask you again tonight. What are you looking at? Acts chapter three, verse four, we're, we're gonna circle back to what we started with. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention and expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold stuff of this world have I none because I no longer love my life. I laid it down at one point. Peter, guys, Peter's the guy that loved his life enough to run from Jesus after hours ago telling him, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll be with you till the end. And then Jesus says, it's okay, Peter. It's okay, my friend. You're gonna deny me three times in like two hours. <laughs> never! And then he did. And heartbroken, he runs. Jesus finds him. And it's such a beautiful picture that when Jesus is raised, he's on the beach. And who does he call to come and have fish tacos with him? Peter jumps out of the boat and he's the first to swim to shore and say, Jesus, never again. I imagine him coming to the shore. Never again will I let another idol be before you like I did a few days ago. I'm sorry I doubted. I'm sorry I put my wife in front of you. I'm sorry I put my ideals in front of you. I'm sorry. Nothing will ever be in my eyesight except you. And it was that fire and passion with with which he had in him. Then in Acts chapter two, Peter preaches and 5,000 people get saved. And the following day, Peter preaches from a rooftop and 6,000 people get saved. And he sees a man begging 
for stuff. And he says, look at me. He wasn't saying, look at me. He was saying, look at Jesus in me. He's saying, it was the Holy Spirit within this fire-filled disciple who laid everything down at the foot of the cross and said, I'll never let another idol go before my Jesus. I'll never let another thing go before my eyes. And the Jesus inside of Peter said, look at me. I'm telling you tonight, I haven't been asking you this question 12 times in my own voice. I prayed that you would not hear my voice, but would you hear the voice of Jesus coming through me? What are you looking at? With every eye closed and every head bowed, what are you looking at? What are you focused on? What are you distracted by? What has become an idol in your life? What are you looking at, says the Lord to you tonight? Hey, I just want to thank you for listening to my podcast today. It's such a blessing to connect with you in this way over audio and through technology. And I just want to be really authentic that today's message about tearing down idols and shifting our focus back on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, I believe is the most important message I've ever written or spoken in my entire life. And why I'm bold enough to say that is because it's the message that this world needs today more than anything. Our focus is on so many other things except Jesus and Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the one we need to have our eyes on in these times far more than we need our eyes on anything else. And so if this message encouraged you or you feel that as well, that this is a message that the world needs to hear, I just want to ask, would you share this message with someone? Would you retweet it? Would you share it on social? Would you share it from Spotify or wherever you're listening? Send the link in a text message to a friend and get this word out there. As well, I want to be honest, if you can sow any seed of any amount to help us keep this mission going, not just saved, but changed is a mission that God put on my heart to take his people beyond the prayer of salvation and into a life of sanctification. And that's our mission. Nellie and I are praying for you and believing God for you to walk the sanctified life that he destined and ordained. And so if you want to sow a seed or share this message, go to notjustsaved.com or go to brandongerlay.com and we'd love to hear from you. Praying for you, God's best is ahead of you. Let's change this world together. But first, let's get changed.